Hi, and welcome to the Burning Ones podcast. Our desire is to see people all around the world burn for one name, Jesus. We pray that you experience the love and power of Him through this journey. Thank you for joining us, and may burning witnesses arise. Uh, We will begin somewhere around Ephesians chapter 2. I have a lot in my heart this morning that I'm going to do my best to labor in the Word, to communicate uh, a very beautiful point that I believe the Lord has for us. And when I say us, I mean you and me both. Because as we look around the world, we are learning that yes, things are growing in darkness as we considered over the course of the day yesterday. And I love that when the Spirit puts meetings together, there's a, there's a symmetry to the messages. Things build, they grow, because God has a desire And one of the things that we know as we survey the world landscape is that the church of Jesus Christ is unstoppable. The church is unstoppable. Nothing can defeat what God has set into motion. And what God wants, he is going to get. All of history, all of history over the course of this age, God is sovereign. And what that means is that he is governmentally steering, superintending time and creation towards a specific destination. We are all leaning in towards the end of the age. And at the end of the age, there will be no surprise. There will be no surprise. There will be no tricks. There will be no gimmicks. No devil is going to pull a rabbit out of a hat. At the end of the age, what God wants is what God is going to get. And Psalm 2 tells us that there is coming a moment when he will release his son to return. And the sign of the Son of Man will crack the sky. And he will come riding upon the clouds in all of the glory and authority of his Father with a host, myriads, 10,000 upon 10,000s of angels. And he will come for his bride. He will come for his prized possession, the people that he longs to possess for that great marriage supper of the Lamb moment where the Father will finally have the opportunity to present to the Son that he loves the bride that he deserves. You could say it this way in Genesis 2. The father got to present Adam with the bride that he longed to give him. Adam got his bride, but Jesus is still waiting for his. Jesus is still his. At the end of the age, we understand the bride that the will be powerful without spot, wrinkle, or blemish. There will be a glory authority there will be a glow there will be an illuminated burn people scattered across the ends of the world signs and miracles claiming the of the gospel giving all of creation an opportunity to repent before the sun turns the preparation of the nations the gospel for as Peter tells us in 9 God is not slow he's not slow he's not disinterested he's not removed hasn't subjected himself to the tyranny of the rulers of the age they're not checkers or chess this cosmic God is over time in history God is still ruling with a wisdom that at the end of the age will be beautiful he's working all things good for good to feel good but for good. God is working what Romans 8 tells us That's enough reason to sh- God is working and he has not stopped and he will not stop because he is in offering he rules and he is not rivaled competing
affecting all things, ups, downs, celebrations, sorrows, perceived failures, and perceived victories. He's working all things together for good to those that love him, that are called by his name and according to his purpose. Because God has a purpose. God has a plan. God has a will. And it is according to this desire that he is superintending all of time and creation itself. And at the end, he will have exactly what he wants. He will have a people that will love his son above every other. And he will have his son and his bride that rule creation forever in the place of eternity. And he will deconstruct the rulers of the age, powers, principalities, and evict the tyranny of corruption, even the wicked one himself. And sin forever will be evicted from the human experience, glorified in eternity alongside of Jesus. And this is why the church is unstoppable. Because the church is a family of new creatures that belong to God. Paul said, if any man be in Christ, that man is a new creature. Let me tell you, you can be in church and not be in Christ. You can memorize the Psalms. You can give in offerings. You can quote scripture verses. You can sit in church and not be seated in Christ. Because Jesus told Nicodemus in John 3, unless a man is born again. And the church is made up of new creatures who have now become a family. And these new creatures have a new nature because God has done something radical and powerful on the inside. He's reconfigured our entire makeup. We now are what we are by the grace of God, is what Paul would have said. I am what I am, which means I used to be something, and the something that I used to be is not the thing that I am now. Because when a man is in Christ and becomes a new creature, old things pass. And these new creatures have a new nature. We've been born again. We're just not learning new Christian tricks. This isn't some behavioral modification program. It's not the adoption of a new language. We're not worldly religious folks that just wear the right merch. I believe in the merch now. <laughs> right? I, I believe in the merch. Obviously, we brought merch. But the merch isn't getting you saved. The new language is not getting you saved. Learning all the Christian tricks and giving yourself to a disciplined behavioral modification program is not getting you saved. You can decorate the outer man. You can add a whole bunch of makeup. You can change his wardrobe. But unless that inner man is laid down, unless that previous way of life has been transformed, unless what you were is now no longer what you are by the grace of God, there has to be a born-again experience and those of us that have seen him those of us that have seen him man if you've seen him I want you to recount the day because I think at times we forget where we were I think at times we forget what we were I remember out on the street corner drug addicted drug dealing diseased Hopeless, suicidal, broken, violent. There are two beautiful words in the scriptures that have just echoed over the course of the meetings, and it's but God. And let me just encourage you or even suggest to you possibly for the first time, if you don't see a lot of difference between the person that you used to be before the insertion of these two words, but God, if you are still the same person, if you still have the same appetites, if you still have the same behaviors and rhythm and way of life, I would suggest possibly you have not yet been born again. You can't be the same person 
that you used to be once God gets a hold of your life by the power of the Spirit. And this family of new creatures were a brand new version of humanity. And God has released these ambassadors. God has released these representatives into the nations of the earth to ready the nations for the return of the king. We understand that these new creatures are an offering of hope and mercy to the nations. Peter says God is not slow. He's not disconnected, but he has a desire. He's passionate. And he's passionate about people having the privilege to come to repentance. He says, for a day is like a thousand years to the Lord. God has not subjected himself to time. But time is serving his purpose. Time is a tool in the hand of God. And it is fulfilling a particular purpose that God has. And he says, God is not disinterested. He is very interested. But he's released these new creatures God has a desire to use men. How do we know that? He became one. He became one. And so the pattern is this man in our lives that are now being conformed into the image of Jesus. God is using us as an offering of mercy to the nations of the world while there is still time remaining. And with the announcement of the gospel... We've been set down in every sphere and place of influence in society. Classrooms, homerooms, businesses, political platforms, different industries, a variety of spheres and places of influence. We now, because of what God has done in us, have become an offering of hope and mercy to those that surround us. We are the only people on the face of the planet that can change the category that people find themselves in. And for anybody that feels like I forgot, this is where Ephesians 2 is. In Ephesians chapter 2, Paul gives us two categories of people. He opens in verse 1 by saying, and you too. This is a corporate you. And you too were all formerly dead in your trespasses and sins. Somebody say this is one category. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, living under the rule of the lustful desires of your flesh, giving way or yielding to, being inspired and governed by the spirit that is in the sons of disobedience. And their goal was to make your life subject to the self-indulgence, the overindulgence of the lustful thoughts of the mind and of the flesh. And you were a prisoner and you were without hope. There was no coming out of that. The spirit that rules in the sons of disobedience, the spirit that makes you a captive to your own self-indulgence, the overindulging on the lustful cravings of the mind and of the heart. You were all a prisoner, is what Paul is saying. You all lived subject to the rule of the powers of the air, powers and principalities, the rulers of the age. We need to understand that there is a battle over the souls of men. There is warfare over the hearts and lives of people. And Paul is creating a category. There is one category where people are living ruled under the tyranny of the powers of the air. The rulers of the age. Had the rulers of the age known what they were doing when they nailed Jesus to that cross, they never would have crucified the Lord of glory. One category is dead in their trespasses and sins. One category 
is ruled by their fleshly cravings. One category is governed by self-indulgence. One category has been brought subject in an ultimate way to navigate their life by what they think is best or what they feel they want most. Paul is giving us the game plan of powers and principalities. And it's so simple that at times we overlook the consequences of it. It's so simple that at times we overlook the consequence of it. Paul says that there's a spirit that is at work in the sons of disobedience. And Paul says that this spirit has an objective, that there's an agenda to this influence. There are two influences that govern the world. We heard even last night, there are two waters, two rivers, two floods. There are two influences that govern all of the life and activity that we find in creation. And one influence is being communicated in Ephesians chapter 2. He says that this influence has an agenda. There's a spirit that rules on the inside, longing to bring us into disobedience. And that it inspires us unto the fulfilling or these overindulging of the lustful thoughts of the mind and the cravings of the flesh. In simple terms, this means that the enemy's desire is to get you to the place where you feel like it is right to have whatever you think is right or whatever you feel is right. This agenda is incredibly simple, and it is so simple that at times we overlook its influence and the consequence. In Genesis chapter 3, the enemy comes to Eve, and we know in Genesis 3, 5, he gives her a specific statement. He says, God knows that when you eat of that tree, you're going to become like him. But this is not the only thing that the enemy told Eve. He said, you're going to become like him, and then you will be able, I like it in the C-E-V best, because I feel like it strongly communicates the point. Then you will be able to determine and judge between what you think is good and evil. One of the consequences that we find that happened in the garden is that man now carries a sense of enlightenment where at least we feel like we are able to judge what is best for our own life. Oh, we're going to go somewhere. Where we feel like we can make a proper evaluation between things that are moral and immoral. Where we feel, at least by way of our own self-perception, that we have the ability or the capacity to determine what is ultimately right, wrong, good, evil, moral, immoral. And at times, the consequence of the situation in the garden even brings us to the place where we turn this evaluation on God himself. And Paul is communicating to us in Ephesians 2 that one category of people is under the rule of this influence. Romans 5 tells us that by Adam's sin, an inheritance of sin fell upon all of humanity. That all of humanity fell into this particular bondage. By forfeiting God's love and leadership, the boundaries through which he governed all of creation because Adam and Eve chose to sidestep or compromise or sin the jurisdiction that God had over their lives. They opened themselves up now to another version of influence. And this other version of influence is ruling on the inside of what Paul calls the sons of disobedience by the agenda of getting them to buy into that what they think is right is right and what they feel they want or should have is okay. 
We need a mass deliverance in the church in this hour of history. We need a mass corporate deliverance in the church in this hour of history. There is one thing that is right, and it is what God says is right. And Jesus said, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they are the ones that shall be filled. And Paul says one category. Everybody say it with me again. One category are people that are being ruled by this spirit. But then we find the insertion of those two beautiful words. But God, being rich in tenderness and mercy, while we were hopeless, while we were powerless to produce any other outcome than the one that we were currently living in, all of creation in the first category while we were helpless while we were powerless while there was nothing that we inherently would ever be able to do to change the category that we were living in but god being rich in mercy tenderness love and kindness made us alive the issue of the gospel is not, am I good or am I bad? At least this is not what Paul is communicating. The issue of the gospel is, am I dead or am I alive? And Paul says there's now a second category. And this second category of folks are people that have come alive to God, are people that have had this beautiful born-again experience are people that are now in Christ. There are people that are now a new creation. They're new creatures. They're now not ruled any longer by the tyranny of the powers of the air. They're no longer trailing along according to the course of this world. They're no longer subject to the sway of the wicked one. They've been translated. They've been transferred. They've been brought out of the dominion of darkness like he communicates in Colossians 1. And they've been brought into the kingdom or the dominion of the sun that his father loves Paul says there's now another category but let me tell you what Paul does not do he does not communicate a third category there's two categories one category is dead in trespasses ruled by the powers of the air yielded to the spirit that is at work causing disobedience. That is one category. The second category is those who have come alive to God through a born-again experience. Those who are now a new creation. Those lives that have been radically transformed. There's been a powerful reconfiguration. We have a new nature. We have a new appetite. We are what we are by the grace of God, which means that I am not what I used to be, but now what God has made me is only made possible by the spirit that is at work in me. And it is the power of this divine life on the inside that has conquered the nature of my old life that used to rule on the inside. And now I am what I am, and what I am is being fueled by the grace of God. This is the second category. But there is no third category for good people who just aren't born again yet. Well, Mike, you don't understand, man. Like, like Jimmy's a really good dude, though. Like, like Jimmy, he's got a great heart. Like, like, he does a lot of good things. Like, he gives to charity. Like, man, he hasn't beat his wife. Like, he's not an, like, like an alcoholic. Like, he hasn't, like, chopped anybody up and hidden them in his basement. He's not, like, eating folks and trafficking kids. Like, Jimmy's a good guy. He's just not saved. There is no third category. 
And in our own hearts, we have to destroy the idea of a third category so that the urgency of the hour can grip our hearts the way that God intends it to because God's heart is on fire for people that have not yet come to repentance and he is very interested, he is very involved and we are an offering of hope. But this hope will not fulfill its ultimate purpose if we are not gripped with the urgency of the hour. But Paul is not the only one who communicates two categories. John in 1 John 5, in verse 19, is communicating a beautiful point about those who belong to God. And he says, we understand in 1 John 5, 19, that the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Listen to this. The whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Sway can be defined as an influence from one point to another. It is the intentional push in the desire to pivot in a different direction. It causes a sway or a swing. It's a word that implies movement. It's a changing of directions. It is an altering of trajectory in nature. And John says that the whole world, the whole world, meaning the whole world, other than those who belong to God, the whole world is under the sway of the wicked one. Paul said that it is the course of the world. John says it is the sway of the wicked one. Romans 12 tells us that in light of God's tender love and mercies, we should offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. And he says, and do not conform to the pattern of this age. In 1 John 2, he tells us, beloved, don't love the world or its ways. Because the world and its ways, its systems, all of its appetites, everything attached to this age is passing. He says, beloved, don't love the world. For if the love of the world is in you, then the love of the Father has not accomplished its desires. He says, because all of the lustful appetites of the world and this age, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life is the appetite of this age. It is the agenda and the influence of the rulers of the age. And powers and principalities want you to believe that what you think is right is what is ultimately right. Paul says that this mindset, that this infrastructure, the influence of powers and principalities want to set up an infrastructure that establishes a stronghold on the inside of sons and daughters. This influence wants to establish an infrastructure that creates a stronghold. For we don't wage war the same way that the world does. For our weapons aren't worldly, they're not fleshly, they're not carnal. But they're divine by design even to the bringing down and the demolishing of strongholds. And we bring every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ, tearing down every high-minded thing that would want to exalt itself above the knowledge of God. Jesus said in John 10, my sheep know my voice and another they will not follow. For my sheep belong to me and I know them and they know me. And they will not follow the voice of a stranger, but they know my voice, and my voice is the one that they yield to. It happens so quickly that at times, if we don't understand the nature of the battle that is actually waging, then we give way to the warfare without even realizing what's happening. Mike, what are you talking about, man? Who says I can't love who I want? Who, who says? One thought. 
Who says I can't marry who I want to marry? Who says I can't be attracted to children? Who says? It's my body, right? I should be able to do what I want with my body. Who, who says that I can't do what I want with my body? We bring every thought captive and we make it obedient to Jesus. Because when we let it linger longer than it's intended to, when we do not subject our thought processes to the love and the leadership and the guidance of God's word, when we don't allow what God says is right or righteousness to be what retrains our appetites, then we find ourselves being influenced in a different direction. And there's an agenda that sets up an infrastructure on the inside. And we find that over time, what we think and what we feel works its way into our behaviors. And now we're no longer thinking and feeling, but we're living. And now the way that we've been living is rallying momentum. And in a moment when things used to be absurd, when it used to be horrific to think that certain situations would not just become visible, Right? There was a time when visibility was the enemy. But now it's no longer visibility. Now certain issues have even been brought to what we consider to be the highest law or the court in the land. And now it's no longer just a thought. Now it's no longer just a craving. But there has now been a legalization of wickedness, a legalization of corruption. This agenda has not just worked its way into a single thought or a small group of people. But now it has become the law of the land in certain influence. Who says that I can't do what I want? I don't see any harm. Nothing seems to be wrong. Who says that I can't watch a little porn every once in a while? Nobody's getting hurt by this. I'm by myself. What difference does it really make? Who says? And the agenda of powers is to get us to overindulge in the lustful cravings of the mind and of the heart to where the things that we think are no longer subject to God's leadership, but we step outside of the boundaries of God's boundaries for life and governance and all of his desires where it is that we can actually reside or abide. We get outside, and so we open ourselves up to another influence, and this influence has an ultimate objective. For the thief comes to steal to kill and to destroy. He's not after you having a good time. He's not looking for a quick moment of satisfaction. He wants to derail God's destiny for your life. He wants to disconnect you from God's eternal purpose. And he's looking to ultimately bury you through the overindulgence of what he convinced you should be right for you. Who says that I can't be a boy? Who, who says that some doctor and my physicality or my, my human biology has to determine, you don't understand the way that I feel in my mind. I don't feel like a girl anymore. Who says that I can't identify as an older man if I'm a younger man or a younger man as a younger man? Who said if I'm in my elderly years that I can't identify as a younger person so that I can engage sexually with younger people? Do you understand the madness the madness, the absolute tidal wave of madness that is flooding the experience of life in this hour of history. But God's offering of hope to the corruption in the culture around us is a new creature. It is a family of born-again believers, those that have been pulled out and are no longer a part of what has worked its way in. Because I understand that there is something that is working in the sons of disobedience. 
I understand that there is a spirit that is bringing people into corruption. I understand that there is a compromise by yielding to another inspiration, another influence, and that that agenda is not the same as God's agenda. And it looks as if these two agendas are clashing in the culture that we are living in. But right at the intersection of kingdom and culture is going to stand a beautiful people. Is going to stand a people that love Jesus and love his ways. A people that are not confused about who he is or what he is about. This Psalm 45, 7 company, because you love what he loves, and you hate what he hates. You will be anointed with the oil of joy and exalted above all of your contemporaries. There will be a joyful people that will stand in the confrontation of kingdom and culture. There will be a satisfied new creature that will stand when the hour gets dark and the consequences get real. There will be a bright burning bride that will rise to the occasion in this hour of history in covenant loyalty to their bridegroom and their king. And they won't be confused about who he is and they won't be confused about who they are. And they will have shed from their hearts, they will have shed from their minds all of the influence of the agenda that is looking to bring us subject to the course of the world. This is what Paul says in Romans 12 too. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind and do not conform to the pattern of this age so that you can actually discern what the good and perfect and pleasing will of God is. Says there's no way to actually know unless you've been transformed because you just get caught up in the current of whatever's the most popular thing. You just get moved in the sway and whatever direction the sway is going is the way that you're going. Who says I can't do what I want? Who says I can't love who I want? Who says I can't do whatever I wish with my own body? Who says that all of these political allegiances and who says that all of these Hollywood endorsements aren't actually what God is doing? And this guy used the name of Jesus and that guy has a hashtag on his profile. But we get caught up in the sway. We get caught up in the course of the world because the world is heading on a particular course the world is heading in a very particular direction and John tells us again in 1st John 2 that the course of this world all of its appetites all of its lusts that they are fading that they are going to pass that when Jesus returns he is going to deconstruct and do away with all of the kingdoms of this world and all of the rulers of this age and all of the powers and the principalities that right now seem to have a particular jurisdiction inside of time and creation that wages war with God's desires for the bride, for his son, that he longs that no man would perish, but that all, that all, that all would come unto repentance, that there's powers that are waging war with God's desire for creation to come to repentance, that there's a sway right now that exists in this life. But what is amazing is that in Romans, Paul is writing to believers. Oh, you see, Mike, I, I didn't feel like I was a part of the conversation. Like, I thought you were talking about people that are unsaved. Right? Like, like, I thought you were talking about, like, the really bad folks. You know, I thought you were talking about the folks that, like, exist in the world, like those that are outside of Christ. In Romans, Paul is talking to people that are already believers. And he is warning them to not get caught up in the current of the world to not have their lives conformed to the pattern of this age, to make sure that they are discerning and emptying from their minds and their hearts 
every thought that would lead us to tear down the knowledge of God in our lives. He's talking to believers. He's talking to believers. So if we believe that we are incorruptible from the influence of this age, Paul would have told them in Corinthians, we need to watch out for those of us who think that we stand and stand strong lest we fall. And God is raising up a people in this hour of history that are going to be about what he is about. That are going to be willing to pay the price for the consequences of their devotion. Because whether we want to believe it in our Western Americanized version or expression of church life, it's easy to compartmentalize the consequences to particular nations or regions of the world. It's easy to disconnect ourselves from the thought process that would say, one day this may get hard for me. One day this might not be as easy as it's been for me. Up until now, our idea of persecution is the wrestling and the arguing that takes place in the Facebook comment section. And if somebody unfriends me, then I've paid the ultimate price of persecution for obedience to Jesus. Oh my God, they deleted me as a friend. Like, what am I going to do? Now I've got 12 followers instead of 13. Like, like what am I going to do? There were three Hebrew kids in Daniel chapter 3 that understood the consequences of their devotion. The charge goes out in the beginning of Daniel 3. It says Nebuchadnezzar erects a 90-foot statue. Somebody say image. And he gathers a bunch of musicians. And he commands them in a particular sound. Somebody say sound. And the rule of law went throughout the region because his little demon-possessed minions rallied alongside of him and got him to actually write it into jurisdiction. There was a mandate that was issued. Anybody familiar with mandates? There was a mandate that was issued by Nebuchadnezzar. He was convinced, he was moved, he was swayed to put into practice the erecting of an image or the projection of an image, the presentation of an image that was accompanied by a particular sound. And the mandate went throughout the region that when you saw the image or heard the sound, it wasn't just for sight or for audio purposes alone, but there was an agenda that was driving the presentation there was an agenda that was moving behind the scenes of what was then being released into culture. The agenda wasn't only so that you would see it or hear it, but the agenda was so that you would bow down to it. And Nebuchadnezzar wrote it into law. Whenever you see it or hear it, what we are going to normalize throughout culture is that you bow down to it. When you see it or hear it, we are going to normalize through jurisdiction and legalization. We are going to normalize in culture. When you see it or hear it, you are commanded to bow down to it. It wasn't just for seeing and hearing, but it was ultimately unto bowing. And the king had a desire that all would bow, and that bowing would become normalized in culture. But there were three guys. There were three guys who just didn't get down like that. There were three guys who just didn't get down the way everybody else was getting down. There were three guys they said, man, everybody else may be bowing, but I'm not about that bowing life. And what they confessed in private 
got confronted in public. The days of I can love Jesus all alone in the secret place of my house without having any public confrontation, without having to actually pay any public consequence, without being brought to the point where I can't just do it in private where no one else knows about it. But right now, God is putting a demand on what he has deposited, what he has established, what he has imparted in private. He is putting a demand that there be a people that would rise that would be willing to pay the consequence out in public. And these three guys, the idea is that they rip them out of their house because they're not in the public arena. At least that's the way the scripture reads. They're not in the public arena in Daniel 3, 5, whenever the instructions are given and normalization has happened and everyone is bowing. They're not there. The idea is that they rip them out of their house. Oh, yeah, no, you ain't bringing it to my house. I'll tell you what, you're not coming to my house. Like, you're not going to meet me in my front yard. The idea is that they ripped them out of their house and brought them before the king because they weren't bowing. Because they weren't bowing. And you will always become a disruption whenever the agenda for normalization is not actually getting deeply rooted in your heart and in your life. Whenever what's going on in culture around you has not become the culture of what's happening on the inside of you, that confrontation, wherever that intersection happens, you will be determined a disruption and there will be a final effort to pressure you to bow. And I won't even get into the fact that it was images and sounds. Because I understand possibly we've got some folks that are really into Hollywood and the music industry. And I don't want to, you know, create any issues with the things that you watch or the things that you listen to. But, but let's just go ahead and suggest that there was a demonic agenda that was infiltrating culture through images and sounds. That there was a demonic agenda that was normalizing things in culture through the presentation of images and music. That there was something that the devil was after on the inside of the hearts of men that he was gaining traction with by what they were looking at and what they were listening to. You just can't listen to stuff that's degrading women all the time, that's promoting violence and crime and corruption. You can't have on your playlist all sorts of mixture and all sorts of compromise and think that the things that you are taking in on a regular basis are not eventually going to affect what's coming out. You can't be entertained by hate and crime and violence and darkness and evil and wickedness and then think, oh, well, that's just, man, that's just cool with popcorn and a slushy every once in a while. Like, bro, you don't understand. Like, don't mess with the movies, man. Like, I'm still coming to church on Sundays. You are still coming. But what you don't understand is that you're also becoming. And that the agenda is gaining traction on the inside. And that before you know it, there's no longer a shock and an awe because you've been conditioned over time. You've been conditioned over time. You see, what you're not understanding is that there is an attempt to condition. There's an attempt to disciple. If it was a full unleashing in an immediate way, it would be completely rejected. But little by little, like leaven that works its way through the whole lump, little by little, conditioning by conditioning, disciple by disciple over time. Now there are things in our hearts that have become normal because of culture that are not normal in the kingdom. And we're bowing because we've been entertained. We're bowing because we've enjoyed. We're bowing because we've been satisfied by something. We're bowing because we've evaluated our own life and the desires of it, and we haven't found any fault or any harm. Praise God!
God that there were three guys in this story that were not bowing. And the king brings them in. And, and I read it actually kind of in a little bit of a funny way. Maybe you don't, but I do. Nebuchadnezzar brings them in. And he looks at these guys. And in Daniel 3.15, he begins again. And he says, I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe, maybe you just weren't around whenever the instructions went out. Like, I'm, I'm going to play it cool. Maybe you just weren't there. Like, maybe you haven't checked your DMs in a little while. Like, like maybe you're just not up to date, right? Maybe you didn't download the latest update. You know what I mean? Like, like maybe you just haven't installed the newest version of the software. I'll give you the benefit of the doubt. Maybe you just don't realize what's actually going on. Maybe it just hasn't hit the front door of your house yet, right? Maybe you've actually turned off the news. Maybe you're not actually giving yourself to all of those different channels or mediums of communication. Like, like maybe I get it. Maybe that's you. Maybe that's where you are. Okay, I'll give it to you. So I'm going to read you the consequences one more time. This is what we're doing. And this is the price that's associated with it. And this is what's going to happen to you if you don't begin to get down like everybody else. And these three guys look back into the face of the king. And they say, Nebuchadnezzar, listen, bro. Again, I read it in kind of a, I mean... They're like, check this out, man. Like, like no, we get it. We, we, we fully understand. We know exactly what's happening. But we've made a decision. We have a resolve. I've come to a determination on the inside. Something has actually happened in my heart. He's touched me. He's become real to me. I am what I am by the grace of God. I'm a new creature now. And I've been set free from the tyranny of the powers that are at work in culture. I'm no longer bound. I'm no longer a captive. I'm no longer subject to that inspiration and influence alone. Which means I haven't been harnessed by that agenda, and I'm not being run around nor run ragged by all of its desires. No, we understand in a very real way what's actually happening here. No, we know the moment that we're standing in. We're very aware of the hour of history that we have entered into. We understand that everybody else around us has become subject and everyone else around us sees no issue with bowing. We understand that there's a penalty, there's a consequence even unto the loss of our lives. We know the terms. We understand the deal. There's a line that's been drawn in the sand and I can't only do it anymore in a private personal way in my home. I know now that we are in the hour where there is public consequence. But Nebuchadnezzar, I understand that you're the king who in a worldly way sits on a fleshly throne. But there is one that is exalted above you. And like Isaiah said in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord and he was high and lifted up and he was exalted above every other and he was seated upon a throne and there was a heavenly host that was tending to him and worshiping him and responding him and there was angels and creatures and he was unthroned. So Nebuchadnezzar, I understand that you think your throne rules and your throne may rule their hearts but his throne rules my heart and even if he does not come to rescue us and even if we actually have to get in the furnace and even if we have to pay the ultimate price we still 
won't bow. Now, all of this sounds amazing. So long as you ultimately believe that you're not really going to have to face the fire as long as you have the right confession. Like, as long as I have the right confession, God's always going to preserve me from the furnace. Right? As long as I say the right thing, sing the right thing, pray the right thing, preach the right thing, then God's never going to actually make me get into the furnace. I mean, come on, bro. Like, that, that's not my Jesus. And they actually end up in the fire. They end up in the fire. Whether you understand it or not, we are being conditioned right now. And there are two fires that are at work in our lives. And what we understand from these three Hebrew boys is that there's a fire inside the fire. That there is a fire that is inside the fire. Because yes, they have to actually get into the furnace. Yes, they are actually facing the loss of their lives. Yes, they have been pushed because of their unwillingness to bow to the agenda that has been launched inside of culture. Yes, they are actually being moved because they're not being swayed. And yes, they are ultimately looking into the face of the ultimate consequence. But there's a fire that is at work in their heart that is greater than the fire of the furnace in our culture. You see, the furnace is the power to conform. The furnace represents conformity. The furnace is the place that they bring you whenever you become a problem, whenever you become a disruption, whenever you pose a threat, whenever you now become an issue because you are not doing what everyone else is doing and the agenda has not infected you the same way that it's infecting everyone else. And yes, I'm choosing my words intentionally. And we find out in the fire that there's a fire on the inside that is greater than the fire and the pressure that's at work on the outside. And you shall receive power in that when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. Because there's one coming after John that will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. You need an impartation of firepower if you are going to have any chance at all to stand against the raging fire that is at work in our culture in this hour of history. If your heart is not on fire, if you don't have the fire of God alive on the inside, there's going to come an intersection where you bow out because of the pressure and the consequences. And you deceive yourself by saying something to yourself that sounds right. That actually is not right. Well, Mike, maybe you don't understand, bro. Like, like I can love in my own way. I can love in my own way and do my own thing. He knows my heart. He does know your heart. At times, that's part of the problem. I can love in my own way. Who said? Who said? Did he say that? For if any man would come, let him first deny himself. Any man, old man, young man, rich man, poor man, famous man, unknown man, powerful man, weak man, broken man, popular man. For if any man would come, let him first deny himself. I need somebody in this hour of history to look at me face to face and tell me that Jesus is worth it. I need somebody in this hour of history that is going to stand and remind me that what I've tasted and what I've seen is actually worth giving it all for. 
I need somebody like the way the life of these three Hebrew boys preached that reminds me that because he died for me, he's worth living for, but he is also to die for. I need somebody to remind me that regardless of how dark the day gets or no matter how hot the intensity of the fire gets that rages around me in my culture, and no matter how hard-pressed the attempt of the agenda is to conform me to its influence and its desires, that Jesus is with me, that Jesus is exalted above every power and principality, that there is a reward that is laid up for me for those that live in covenant loyalty to him and to him as king, and that even if I have to give my own life, that he is worth it. Is he worth it to you this morning? This is a serious consideration. Is he worth it to you this morning? Is he worth dying for? There are beautiful people all over the world because of the pressure that has hit their life as a consequence of their loving obedience to Jesus that have been tortured, they've been burned, they've been beheaded, all because They've seen something in the beauty and in the worth of Jesus. And it has completely conquered their whole life. And the only proper response to his beauty and to his worth is you can have the yes from me that you're after. If you're looking for someone who will say yes to you and who will live for you, here I am. If you're looking for someone that's willing, if you'll give me grace to stand in this hour of history, here I am. If you'll give me power to live as a demonstration in my moment, of history, here I am. Because you said that there would be fire attached to this life. You said that you would give me power to live as a witness for you. You said that you would equip me to be a living demonstration, not to hide, not to bow not to be crippled and to live in bondage by fear. Lord, if you'll give me grace, I'll honor you with my life. If you'll give me grace, I'll stand for you when no one else seems to be standing. If you'll give me grace, I'll face the furnace. If you'll give me grace, all the confrontation of the culture. Here I am, Lord. Send me. Here I am, Lord. Send me. The Lord is raising up a beautiful people in this hour of history. The Lord is causing this family of new creatures to take their place on the stage of history. The church is unstoppable. And nothing can defeat what God has set into motion. And God is going to get what he wants. The only question is, will he get it out of you? Will he get it out of you? Because there is one thing that you offer to the equation 
that God cannot provide. There is one thing that you can do that God cannot do. Well, God is omnipresent, he's omniscient, he's omnipotent. I understand that for all of the theologians in the room. But there is one thing that you actually can do that God cannot do. God cannot say yes for you. Only you can bring the yes to God that he's looking for. Only you can bring this yes. Only you as a response of looking deeply into the face of Jesus can look at him and come to the conclusion in your own heart you're worth it. You're worth it. You are the pearl of great price. You're worth selling the field in order to have. You are the dream. You are everything. You are life and life on the inside of me. Only you can determine for yourself if he is actually worth it. And in any place where his worth has not actually conquered the spaces in your own heart where there has been resistance, in any space in your heart where there has been resistance to the beauty and the worth of Jesus, just know that there is an intersection or a consequence in front of you that will possibly bring you to the place where you will choose yourself over him. Only you can determine. You're worth it, Lord. Do what you have to do in me. Do what you have to do on the inside of me. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We pray that it has fanned into flame the love that you have for him. If you would like more information about Burning Ones, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel, follow us on social media, visit our website, burningones.org, or download our app.